This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is special episode 214 of the podcast, our annual Best in Beer Critics edition of the podcast. Now I say annual, it's really the second annual uh, because we started this last year in the midst of COVID when everyone was locked away in our homes and it has been a fantastic way to connect and share and talk to influential smart beer folks about the beers that they love and why they love them. For this episode, we are going to chat with Stan Hieronymus, Kate Bernat, Samer Kadari, Alex Kidd, Joe Stang. Of course, I will share mine. Here, this is also a special episode because we are recording for the first time in the new Craft Beer and Brewing Office studios, live with another person I've recorded a few remotely out of here. But Stan Hieronymus is right here in the office with me. Welcome to the podcast, Stan. Um, Thanks very much. And here I am in a padded room, which is where many people think I belong all the time. Don't we both? Yeah. Don't we both? <laughs> no, we've got a, a, you know, it's a fun little studio. We're using it for the first time live with two guests. And uh, we are going to walk through Stan's best beers of 2021. For those of you who are subscribers or readers of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, it is on page 58 of the 2021 Best in Beer issue. So you can pull up your copy and follow along uh, the issue. If you are a subscriber and don't have your print copy yet, then just check it out. You've got it on email and you should be able to watch and read along with this. After seeing, we're going to kind of segue and pop in with remote sessions with some of the other critics from this issue. Before we do that, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer, GND Chiller's new micro-channel condensers. GD's micro-channel condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions, use a fraction of their refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks and lower global warming potential. GD Chiller's engineers are committed to green technology design, developing a more energy-efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact GD Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by our friends at BSG. We all know that the best brewing results come from the best ingredients. BSG offers the largest variety of quality ingredients to create outstanding beers. BSG brings the best malt, hops, and additives from around the world to your brew house. Their knowledgeable and dedicated staff comes from the brewing industry and can assist you in product consultation for your recipe formulation. Contact your dedicated sales or customer support rep or become a customer at bsgcraft.com slash customer. So Stan, uh, you know, on last episode of the podcast, which uh, Joe and I went through all of our editors' picks, all of the readers' choice, all, you know, et cetera, et cetera, we did explain to everybody that this year for our best in beer editors' picks, you and Kate came up to the office for a few days of tasting. We tasted through all of those best in beer submissions, and we certainly did mention about, uh, you know, your your hardcore stand for one beer in particular, and, and there's a reason I've got that trophy standing right in oh. front of you so you can see it. Uh, um, it was a it was a fun experience, and it was great to to spend a couple of days tasting beer with the two of you. We really appreciate your input on that. Um, 
Uh, well, thanks, and um, I'm glad you got a good story out of uh, Starry Noche. <laughs> um, I, I, I might have got a little carried away, but it, it, it's funny, and, and when we get to my list, um, I seem to have a reputation um, that I pretty much am not interested uh, in any beer style brewed, say, since uh, 1892, um, and I don't think that's true. And sometimes you come across a thing, uh, uh, a beer, and you say, this is still a beer. Um, an overused phrase, I'm afraid, uh, coming about this day, these days, and, and certainly with the interest with lagers, people are talking about beer-flavored beers. Uh, I think we got to move past that. These other flavors belong in beer, too. There you have it. Let's talk about your top 10 beers of the year. Uh, so we'll start with the uh, Burley Oak. Um, you know, my Burley Oak. Of course, you have to start with a uh, <laughs> fruited kettle or quick sour beer. Exactly. Except, um, I, I got to know Burley Oak uh, because they were brewing with local ingredients, more quote traditional beers. Um, so the idea of doing a beer that's a kettle sour um, and not. That's just one way to get sour. A lot of people are not very good at it, so you can see where people deride kettle sours, but that's unfair to the people who do it well. Um, but that it has cake batter in it and that it's basically a smoothie um, is – takes um, – I started with the taster. <laughs> That's a simple way to put it. On on sure, a flight of sure. tasters, um, it, it was in July on the Maryland shore. It was hot. It was humid. It was the evening. Um, you know, I'm going IPA good. Uh, I think they had a lager and tried this and then took home a four-pack. You know, it's it's got it, – it, it is exactly what it says. It's dessert. Well, there you go. You're going to ruin your reputation for being a hard ass if, uh, if you keep putting uh, pastry stouts, dessert stouts, and uh, fruited kettle sours right. on your uh, on your list. Uh, what's next uh, to, to, to kind of reclaim some of your credibility? Well, I guess a beer stout, lager house, Hellas. That's about as traditional as you can get. Um, you know, we can have these discussions, and I I think was Hellas in the top twenty last year. The Beerstadt House, or just on Joe's list? Well, I think one that one might have been on Joe's list. They yeah. have the uh, Slow Pour has been a beer of the year in the past. Right. I mean, Slow Pour is great, um, but it requires more patience than I sometimes have. And the Hellas is wonderful. Um, it, it generally, I'm going to pick either one up now that we live here, and I, I've got a 10-minute walk to a store where I can – buy them, then, then I'm, I'm going to buy either one of those. But, but if you go into some place and you're in a hurry, then you're going to go with that Hellas because it shows exactly the character. Like, like I said in, in the magazine, s- stealing this line from uh, Greg Engart, it has just the right hit of matchstick. <laughs> What's next on your list? Uh, Bell's Two-Hearted Ale. Um, it's a beer you can get anywhere. Um, you know, during the pandemic, uh, we made, we were previously living in Atlanta, Georgia, we would make runs north into the mountains. And one time we're headed up into uh, Tennessee, taking some back roads to a cabin we're staying in. And we stopped at a gas station to buy water. And that gas station has nothing 
but beers like Coors Light, Bud Light, um, Hard Seltzer, not a beer. Um, those those sorts of things, and sure, it has sure. Bell's Too Hearted. You can find it anywhere. Didn't buy it there then. When we were moving from Atlanta uh, to Denver, we took a little detour, stopped at my brother's house in uh, Champaign, Illinois, went out to lunch. There it was on tap, and that is the perfect Midwest, no coast IPA. It, it, it claims both coasts. It's that good. Sure, sure. What's uh, the next beer on your list? We're drinking a similar style beer right now as we're talking. Uh, talk to me about this. And this is one of the styles on your list every year. It is, and it's and generally it's Live Oak Krojiski. Uh, I had not had it in the last 12 months, so it didn't qualify for, for this list. Chuckanut in uh, Bellingham, Washington um, has made these about once per year, and when they made it this last year, I sent them a note, and they sent me some um, in a nice 500 bottle, like like we have in front of us. Um, and it is, it's a combination. It, it does what I like, because who knows what the Grojewskis tasted like 100 years ago, or in the 1930s when they were revived. Um, and, and Live Oaks has evolved. I happen by chance to be there several years ago when they brewed their first batch, and, and I had that. It was much hazier. Um, and it, now it's come to what Dusen says about it is it should be about smoking hops, and that's what that beer is. This version, a little bit different. It's a chuckanut beer, and the really cool thing about it, which um, Rick Burns, who's the lead brewer, said, you know, that, that they're trying to make this beer, but it still remains a chuckanut beer. You get you get both of those characteristics, and both are very admirable. What's next on your list? Um, uh, Cloudburst Bill, and that's what, if, if you've had cans from Cloudburst, you know that trying to figure out what it's called sometimes can be a bit of a challenge. It's just stamped uh, on that same <laughs> writing on the top, sure, on sure. the rim, like the date will be on the bottom. Um, and this was during hop harvest, and I was in Oregon, at the Goshi Farm, and Gail gave me the, the can of this beer, said, you want to try this? We, we were talking about um, public hops that are now at the stage that will soon be released. Um, this one's made uh, with the, the full number is USDA uh, 2010-008. Um, I, I would guess that probably the hops are more likely to be released before that will be a, a beer that a hop that finishes zero two four, um, but th- that evening I'd, I'd gone and 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 located the Airbnb uh, in Oregon where I was staying, um, and then went back out to the hops field, parked my car beside the hop field, and opened this can uh, next to a field of Simcoe, um, and in that setting, you know, however good the beer was, and it's really good got that much better. Um, so I thought I got to put it on the list. Um, so you've already talked about the top 20. Oh, we already have. That, that was the top 20. So, so, you so can, it, that's it, all cloud, cloud Burst also has another outstanding beer in the top 20. Entirely different experience. That that one is like just like ca- crawling into a hop kiln. And it's, <laughs> it's just wonderful that way. They're doing some beautiful things with hops up there. Yes. Next on your list. Yeah, Fair Isle Alicell. Um, so uh, Fair Isle um, 
I'm I'm in love with their house mix culture. It it works well in everything. Um, they put it with a lot of stuff. Some of them I like better than others. Uh, this one I like a whole lot, and and that's because they use a ton of Hallertau middle fruit. It makes you think that it would be impossible to use too much Hallertau middle fruit in any beer. So it really shows off um, uh, the character yeast. It, it, the hops brighten the yeast. The yeast brightens the hops. Yeah, yeah. Next on your list, this one actually was one we tasted uh, through the the best in beer, and it, it worked its way onto your list. Right, exactly. Um, I, I I still don't know why you would call a beer cold IPA. <laughs> um, because I, I, I'm not sure what, what it tells <clears throat> the drinker. I, you know, I understand why it's not called an Something a, a, better a, a than IPL. IPL, yeah. And so Firestone Walker, the, this is not uh, IPA strength. It's pale ale strength. And they call it a hoppy lager. And that's exactly what it, these beers should be called is hoppy lager. Um, you go, this, this has that wonderful m- interaction of barley malt with a lager yeast. And it gives you those... This one's not really matchstick, but it, it still has that full flavor, and then boom, hits you with American hops. So it's it's a again I'm uh, I'm getting too old to do crushable, <laughs> um, yeah, but right, it right. is it does have that really clean old. and either um, uh, trust me you can get that old, um, but yeah it's a, it's a nice as I said it you know it's it's. There's a simplicity to the beer and a complexity both. That's quite enjoyable. That's Firestone Walker's Welcome to L.A. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's next on your list. Uh, Jackie O's A Livelihood. Um, And when I think about Jackie O's, and if you have it at festivals and people are lined up, it's, again, it might be a pastry stout. It's going to be a stout. It's going to be a big-ass beer. Um, This one was uh, listed at 2.9% abv on the sign it was at a good word brewing which is outside of atlanta in duluth um and they held a festival uh i guess it was early may shortly before we moved and it was really the first festival for brewers in, in the atlanta area for about 15 months so everybody was already exhilarated so it's good most of the it was called small beer and having a lot of beers everybody brought a lager and often brought another low alcohol beer, and those fit in perfectly. But even over time, and and all of these lagers, once in a while you went back to get something that was a little bit of a palate cleanser. Uh, it was, uh, the festival was, was on cement, so it was pretty warm. And and this beer is just, you know, it's, it's a, again, a, a mixed culture, um, and just light on the palate and very refreshing. Very cool. Uh, Beer number nine on your list. I think it's pronounced Nage. It's from Outer Range Brewing in Frisco. And if we had a quiz and people said, I said, I have an Outer Range beer on my list. You want to guess the style or you want to guess the beer. They might make 20 guesses before they got to this. I'm not sure it's on all the time. Yeah. Um, And again, you go there for big ass beers and um, and hazies and hoppy beers, and they are really, really good. Um, we were there on a Saturday, even though it was 
late July, I think, in the mountains when the rain comes in and it's and it is overcast all day, it gets kind of cool. In, in the evening, there was a, a free concert. Um, so this is in Frisco, and the next town back has a free concert, Robert Earl Keane's playing. So that's why we went up, we're hanging out at the pub. You try this beer. Anyway, Neige is a Belgian double. Um, and, and what I actually, when I posted online, because I was so taken with this beer, I said, this is the best double I've ever had at a mile high or <laughs> higher. Um, in this case, we were at 88.95, according to my phone. You know, it's, it's got everything you, you want in that beer. The, the best uh, compliment I can give to one of these beers that are meant to taste like you're at a Trappist brewery to say it's digestible. It was totally digestible. Well, there you go. Last beer on your list. This is one, uh, a variation of a beer that has been a beer of the year in the past. Yeah, uh, Russian River Intention um, was a beer of the year in 2019. It is the last beer I drank at Falling Rock before it closed. Um, but this is um, the dry hop version. It's dry hop with Nelson Sauvin. Um, and then uh, I think that... Um, that Vinny may have also added a little bit more funky yeast in it. And those two things together is just a total punch, like uh, a Sauvignon Blanc wine that like you've never had before. You know, it is intense, but there's still tons of underlying flavor. And, and what I wrote again for the magazine was it's not recommended for Chardonnay drinkers. <laughs> What should today's drinkers pay attention to? The look on the faces uh, in the people um, who are pouring beer in tap rooms and uh, brew pubs and so on. Um, it, 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 we should have been doing this before, but I think because of the pandemic, uh, people are paying more attention and realizing that being in the service industry is not such a good deal. So when you see people, uh, you know, to give you an example, from the Denver area, it's like you go into Lady Justice, which is in Aurora, and and the the people pouring the beer are genuinely happy to be working there. And it's not just a matter of what they're paid, or, or um, you know, it's the community that they're within. And I'd rather be in a place like that than a place with. And and I wouldn't say that that anybody making the beers on my list are places you wouldn't want to drink beer, but. To, to go into a place that gets gets a beer that's uh, 4.8 on untapped and all the people pouring beer look sad, I'm ready to turn around and walk out. Fair enough, fair enough. What should today's brewers pay attention to? Uh, sustainability, which is, um, you know, they're thinking, what am I doing in my brewery, saving water and things like that? But you need to back up on the supply chain and realize, you know, what what what's going on with the hops that you're using, um, with the malt that you're using, um, you know, we're, everybody's, this next year is going to be reminded that beer is an agricultural product when they see prices going up because barley was, had a horrible year in the field. Uh, and I, you know, I see these posts from brewers on various forums now, how much more they're going to be paying for malt this year. And it's pretty scary. What's, uh, you know, a, a beer related thing that you can't wait to experience again now that, uh, we are, 
you know, on the the winding out days of COVID. Hopefully, we're on the the, the winding down days of COVID. Well, we is to go back and and drink live oak grodiski live at at live oak which um and when i wrote this we didn't know when we would be in austin next but now we know we're going to be there at new year so i'll, I'll be hanging out at the brewery and the nice thing is uh, all of their lagers are wonderful they have other smoked beers on um but it's still sort of fun to take something like their hellas which is not packaged so you have to go there to drink their hellas and if you go there you have to drink their hellas but then to have uh, the beer that Chip McElroy calls Helsinki. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. What's one beer that deserves more attention than it gets? As I said, this is rhetorical because I've said on the list every year I'm going to keep saying live oak Grodiski until they brew it at least 10 times a year. Right now I think they're up to about six or eight. Uh, but I wasn't sure if you meant a style beer or what you meant beer. So, so I did add – that the beer people should be paying attention to is the one if you, you know, you go and you go to check in, you go, it doesn't have a super high untapped score. I said 3.42. That was totally made up. And meanwhile, this is the beer that sells all the time in the tap room, or it, it could be in your local bar. That's the beer you should be paying attention to. There's a reason people are drinking that beer, and um, we should not turn our noses up at a uh, low rating. Amen. Yeah, for that last question, we uh, we let you make up your own question and answer it. And so, of course, you asked a hop question. What hop do you wish was in more beers? Uh, Brewer's Gold, which you're not going to get oh. hardly any <laughs> any beers with Brewer's Gold sure, in sure. them. Um, it was released in 1934. Um, if you look at the family tree of the world's uh, most grown uh, Alpha Hop, Hercules from Germany, Brewer's Gold is in there. You look at the world's most popular Aroma Hop, which is Citra, Brewer's Gold is in there. But Brewer's Gold on its own is almost impossible to find. So you keep wondering if in 1938, when this hop was released, if brewers were doing then what they're doing now, um, how it might have changed things more quickly. So it would be cool if, if more brewers were using this and seeing what they could do with it, because what the heck, I've tasted enough Citra beers. Did Vinny put you up to this? <laughs> he, he, he did not, um, but uh, th this will put the onus on him because we've talked about it. I've talked to farmers who said, sure, we can supply Vinny with, with Brewer's Gold, so now he's going to have to show us what he can do with it. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, we had a pretty uh, intense conversation about Brewer's Gold at that uh, last night at Falling Rock earlier this year. Oh, uh, well, Stan, thanks for joining me to read and recount your best in beer live here. The most common complaint about hard seltzers, they need more flavor. Extract alone is a weak flavoring agent and can leave a chemical aftertaste, but there is a better way. The craft concentrate blends from Old Orchard are packed with real fruit first. No added sugars and just enough natural flavor. Breweries are turning to old orchard concentrates for seltzer with more body, color, and aroma. Turn seltzer skeptics into supporters with seltzer that drinks like a beer. Get started at www.oldorchard.com slash 
brewer. Also, still emptying those overflowing waste bins of crushed low fills or undercarbonated cans every canning day? It's time to fill like a pro. Pro fill can fillers from Pro Brew use rotary true counterpressure gravity filling and seaming technology to run at speeds of 100 to 300 cans per minute with minimal DO pickup. Stop wasting perfectly good beer. Email probrew at contact at probrew.com today. Next up, we have Kate Bernat. Kate, welcome back to the Critics List edition of the Craft Beer and Brewing Best in Beer podcast. You played a bigger role in our overall best in beer judging this year. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned with Stan or just a, a minute ago in the podcast, both of you came up to the craft beer and brewing offices and we all worked together collectively through all the submissions for best in beer. Some of that, um, you know, impacted some of the elements that are some of the beers that ended up on your own personal list, even if they didn't make the, the broader list overall. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk through your personal top 10 for this year. And then of course, some of the questions that we asked every critic um, and let's kick into it uh your top 10 beers of the year where do you want to start the first one that i um have here is society's good of the public san diego style ipa um which i mean how many styles of ipa do we have right east coast west coast mid midwest canada who knows um but so while those definitions are maybe becoming less and less rigid like this beer to me was kind of the best of all possible worlds. Like it had a little New England, had a little West Coast, um, lots of lots of peach skin and orange, um, but still like a very tidy bitterness to me, like very modern, very now using the best brewing approaches to different types of IPAs and turning them into something that whose definition doesn't really matter, maybe, as long as it's good. It's so funny because we think about San Diego as this classic West Coast style IPA, but San Diego has also been on the forefront of things like using uh, Southern Hemisphere hops and making these thoroughly modern, different takes on IPA. And yeah, society, of course, is one of the, the best in the game at that. What's next on your list? Next on my list, we'll go East Coast uh, for Grist House Continental Breakfast Coffee Milk Porter. Um, I feel like Pittsburgh breweries make very good coffee beers. Um, Cinderland makes some really tasty coffee beers. This one has Yurgachefe coffee beans from Ethiopia, uh, Blue Moon coffee from Bali. Um, and uh, these really contribute this like bright berry, um, a little bit of acidity. And then the roast is like the base note under it all. The lactose kind of comes in, like smooths everything out. And I just thought, despite having so many elements going on, this beer was, uh, like, just really purposeful. Nothing was there for no reason. Like, the lactose needed to be there. The bean choice was excellent. Um, and it was just so cozy. Like, just a cozy beer that I want to drink when it's extremely cold out. <laughs> Sounds delicious. What's next? Next, uh, this was in a four, four-way collab. Um Packaged by Good Word, um, and it's a pale lager called For the Cold Days in Hell. Um, it's a collab with some other southern breweries, uh, Somewhere, Bramari, and Pontoon. Um, and I really, uh, you will see that I have um, more than a few lagers on this list. But this one I really liked for the rye and spelt in the grist. There was like this really rustic like prickliness from the rye and a little bit of like almond skin, but nothing about it was like too husky and uh, sapphire hops um, had an herbal note. And this 
I feel like the best dry hopped lagers, like you could think about a lot like I am right now, or you could just drink them and it would be delicious. Um, so this, this did all of that for me, but the, the grain bill I found especially really nice. Not the only appearance from Goodward in our critics, various critics lists. Um, they have been definitely getting out there more and more often. What's next on your list? Next, uh, this might be, I don't know, maybe the most like polarizing beer on my list. I don't know. I haven't talked to many other people who've had it, but um, the New Belgium. This, this is one that we tasted in yes. our best in beer tasting and, and it was polarizing right then and there. Yeah, I noticed it did not end up on anyone else's list, <laughs> but perhaps this. Um, so this is New Belgium's La Folie Grand Reserve Fernandito Sour Red Ale with cocoa husks aged in Fernet and bourbon barrels. A lot going on. I love Fernet, so this is like catnip to me. Like, yeah, I kind of went in thinking I would love this, but it was even more, it was like really complex, obviously, with all those different um, elements going on, but again, not not messy at all. It had the overall impression of like a Black Forest cake plus cherry cordial plus Fernet, so very much like a dessert and digestive, like eat it at the, you know, drink this at the end of the night with din with dessert or as dessert. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was really beautiful and uh, more Fernet barrel aged beers, please. <laughs> uh, next on your list, this one uh, was the product of a story that you wrote on them this year also. Yeah. Um, Floodlands, inevitably it ends, Saison. Um, Floodland was uh, one of our uh, breakout brewers in craft beer and brewings, um, one of our past issues this year. And, uh, I mean, all the beers that I've had from this Seattle brewery are pretty incredible. Um, but, uh, this one kind of bested the rest with, um, I just feel like the way that, um, this brewery is going with like this restrained, um, acidity and like a lot of, um, I don't know, um, botanical character and some kind of like honey notes. Like they're just taking Cezanne in a really, really beautiful and delicate direction. And this was my favorite of theirs that I had this year. Fantastic. Next was another one that you tasted uh, during our best in beer tasting. Yeah. So this is the Drifontanen. I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Jamie, do you want to help me out with that that <laughs> word here? It's a creek. You know, <laughs> it, it really depends on, uh, you know, who in Belgium you hear pronouncing this mm -hmm. because I've heard it with a hard S-C-H, as well as a you know, Scharbeeks or Scarbeeks, depending on how Flemish you want to get about it, I guess. Uh. <laughs> cool. So it's that beer. Um, <laughs> and I loved this. I mean, I wasn't surprised that Dree makes a delicious creek, but there was this like really poetic aspect of this beer to me. It, um, it, the cherry obviously is there. And like, I also got like some blackberry kind of notes with it, but then there was this like, I don't know, like wet stone slate like rain on the grass i don't know how to describe that in any other way i've heard people talk about like minerality and slate and like wines and stuff and i felt like that's what i was getting here it's just like this very like wet lush flavor along with that cherry and i just thought it was so beautiful and yeah dare i say poetic <laughs> poetic poetic uh, what's next uh, next, this was a beer that I was excited um, to discover when I was at 
Craft Brewers Conference this year. So I was in Denver and made a little field trip to Cohesion, um, which is doing uh, Czech style lagers. Um, and it is a wonderful little tap room. They only had three beer house beers on when I visited. So, you know, they better all be good. And they really were. Um, the, the Amber Lager was my favorite. It, you know, it was just kind of like this wonderful middle ground between the Pale and the Dark Czech Lagers. And I mean, just kind of like nailed all the technical things that I needed to nail and served right and served in this beautiful tap room by people that really knew what they were talking about and uh yeah i'm i'm jealous of denver residents who get to drink there regularly um this is clearly the best time to ever be a beer drinker in the history of beer totally next on your list is another lager (laughs) yeah again keeping keeping with my theme um so this was one that we uh also drank during the uh, best in beer judging from hanabi um franson hellas style lager beer um I have no comment on on Hanabi like as a business model or anything about them. Just, you know, judge this blind and loved it. Um, There was like a, I don't know, kind of a smoky, perfumey, like frankincense. I don't know, some kind of like very woody, um, perfumey aspect to this that was not distracting, but just barely there and enough to make it super intriguing to me like I kept wanting to just go back and try to nail this down um and then I just realized it was delicious and I could just keep drinking it and not have to think about is this frankincense or is it palo santo or whatever like but there was this wrinkle that made it unlike any other hellas I had ever so very memorable yeah a lot of character in that one for sure Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm the number the the next beer on your list this is nine out of ten again in no particular order mm-hmm. um so the Rubens Brews Stay Frosty Cold IPA uh, an example of this uh, now not quite even emerging anymore emerged <laughs> also new take on um, IPA which is really more just a way to hop loggers uh, <laughs> um, so even my IPA picks are loggers I guess um, <laughs> is what I'm realizing um, but I I really loved this version I'm not surprised that I liked something that Rubens Bruce did uh, shocker um, but this felt like what I wanted brute IPAs to be like just a really clean hop delivery system. (laughs) Um, And this uh, Simcoe Centennial Cascade Columbus, like pretty classic and um, in a really, uh, really light package with the flaked rice in in there, but um, not watery and not leaving the hops unsupported. So just really well structured, really well built and delicious. I had forgotten that this beer was on your list, but uh, they sent a six-pack to the office about a week ago, and so I have been enjoying this one as well. Mm. Uh, the number, the last beer on your favorite 10 beers of 2021. Yeah, this one, uh, I don't know, kind of like snuck up on me. So Oscar Blues, Oscar's Lager. Um, this is just an American light lager, 4.2%. Um, just a beer that I found myself having in the fridge all the time and wanting more of all the time. And uh, I feel like I could not find one fault with this beer if I tried. Like, I mean, there's not, it's like notable in its absence, right? Like there's not a ton there, but there's absolutely nothing wrong. There's this just Cheerio-y malt, the exact perfect level of carbonation. And I feel like, you know, we're 
enjoying more craft breweries making light lagers, but this one is like perfect in my mind. So fantastic. Some some great folks over there for sure. Let's get into some of the the questions at the end of your critics list. Today's drinkers should pay attention to. ABV. <laughs> um, I've noticed, you know, beer styles like merging and evolving, even alcohol categories blurring with like, you know, spirits based hard seltzers and things like that. Um, sometimes I find myself incredibly surprised by the ABV on a product when I flip the can over or bottle over and I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I was two or three points off. Um, so that's more of a reminder to myself to <laughs> um, check on what those are because they're kind of, you know, it's not like IPAs are all 5.8% anymore either. So <laughs> good to sure, keep an eye sure. on. Yeah, quite a spectrum. Today's brewers should pay attention to. Uh, people who aren't drinking their beers. So aren't I think drinking their who beers. Who aren't drinking their beers, right. Yeah. So I think... You know, this this year was a, a a difficult one for the industry in a lot of ways. Like COVID was still happening. Obviously, there were a lot of like social justice uh, issues being raised within the beer industry. And I feel like it's really tempting for breweries when there is uncertainty to like hunker down and only listen to their super fans. Um, and that goes for writers too. So I'm not picking on breweries. Um, it's tempting to listen to those people. But I think, you know, for breweries, if if they want to be inclusive and they want to grow their business, it's important to look at, hey, who's not drinking our beers? Who's not in our tap room? And why why aren't they here? What what could we be doing better to reach more people and gain more new fans? Yeah, that's uh, uh, an important point to make there. A beer-related thing you can't wait to experience, uh, hopefully, as COVID continues to wane here in the around the world. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, pitchers. I know they're not like the ideal beer-serving vessel. No one would argue that. But the idea of meeting up with like six to eight friends and just having wings and pitchers of beer sounds so good. I mean, I've not really been hanging out in huge groups like that. Um, and certainly not with big open, you know, food and, and drink really. So that sounds, that sounds so good right it now. It definitely does. We get some, I've had some fantastic pitchers. You can get, like, I was able to get Lafoli in pitchers here in Fort Collins at one point. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <sighs> So I mean, spoiled, right, so spoiled. Right. You know, pitcher lawfully, <laughs> sign me up any day. Um, one beer that deserves yep. more attention than it gets. I chose Firestone Walker DBA. Uh, so this beer turned 25 this year, and um, it made me wonder why it's not discussed in the same breathless uh, enthusiasm that like Allagash White or Sierra Nevada Pale Ale are because I love this beer. It's so iconic and easy drinking and it it should be on that Mount Rushmore with those other guys. And Firestone Walker, to their credit, does a great job of trying to keep it in people's minds and not letting it go. It would be very tempting for a brewery that sells a whole lot of 805 to just give it up and they don't. They're sticking with it. Totally. Yeah, everyone else can help us drink more of it. You know, I can only do sure, so much sure. as one person. Kate, thanks for joining me. Thanks for on this podcast. Thanks for uh, participating and being a big part of our overall editor's picks for the top 20 beers of 2021. Um, thank you for all the contributions you've made to the Brewing Industry Guide and to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. Everything we do, it is wonderful 
to have you on board with us as contributing editor across all of those titles. Next up, we're going to talk to beer journalist extraordinaire, our East Coast connection, Samer Kadari. But before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clover, artfully layer exotic zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale, adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off of any and all orders with the code craftbeer10. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best pouring out great tasting beverages. Learn more at www.clarionlubricants.com. Summer, let's talk about your uh, favorite beers of 2021. It was another weird, difficult year, a year we thought was going to end up better than it was. We yeah. thought we were going to get to see people in person and go to beer festivals again, and it didn't quite work out that way. No, um, 2021 was definitely a challenging year, I think, for everyone. I definitely had a, a, a interesting year, but it was great to uh, be a part of this group and be a part of the critics list for Best in Beer. Um, uh, it's interesting because, you know, last year, I feel like I had a, a variety of different beers. And uh, this year, I actually surprised myself with some of my selections, so... From uh, reading your list, you got out or about a bit. You did some traveling and uh, got to some of those places that were high on your own personal beer list. But let's dive in and, and start with the first beer on your list. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first beer that I have on my list is um, an Altbrow beer. Um, it's a, a Creek-inspired beer. It's called Sorry About That. Um, Tim Decker is the owner and operator of Altbrow. He works uh, with Shady Oak for this beer. Um, I actually had this beer on a really cold, like, wintry day in the middle of nowhere Western Mass in a very, like, splintery house. And I shared it with a friend. Um, it really warmed me up. Uh, it was um, a pretty funky um, creek, but loaded with uh, fruit, which, you know... Tim is known to work with uh, local uh, agricultural specialists to, you know, source his fruit as as close to his home as he can. Um, I'm excited to see what he does next. Um, he's currently a maltster right now, but uh, yeah, puts out some spectacular beers. So if you ever get a chance, um, they're not widely available, but he's definitely known internationally for... Uh, putting out some good, uh, funky beers. Excellent. Excellent. What's the second beer on your list? Uh, the second beer I have is Austin beer works, uh, project, uh, the pills versus pills, um, series that they did. Um, this was a really fun one. Um, I kind of like what they did in terms of like gamification. Um, this is like, uh, 
taste test kind of situation. Um, it was great. Uh, I really, you know, and this was uh, this was the non decocted new school version versus the old school decocted version. That's correct. And you, and you chose decocted. I chose decocted. Both were extremely. Uh, and you're not just delicious. saying that to uh, to no, play it's K not Joe. exactly right. Yeah, it's not like a, a beer snobbery that really made me select this one over the other. It, again, both styles were incredible i thought it was a really cool project um you know even when they had their own judging um it was interesting to see the participants also be kind of split but i think their uh yeah decocted version just won a little by a hair in my opinion well austin is quite the lager hotbed and so that's saying a lot what's the third beer on your list um, the third beer that I have is um, Bissell Brothers Double Lux. Um, this was released, I think, for the first time this year. Um, I'm a huge fan of their Rye IPA. Uh, it's a simple mosaic. They've actually changed the name to Mosaic IPA. Um, this version was like pretty, pretty, uh, you know, one of those juice bombs. Um, and it, it just really felt uh, in line with what Bissell kind of does. I compared it to uh, like a McDonald's celebrity meal. I don't know why. I think a lot of <laughs> those things that in terms of the marketing and things of that nature, just like make it much more luxurious. So Luxurious. Well, wow, you were <laughs> right on brand with them on that one. What's the fourth beer on your list? Uh, the fourth beer that I have is, um, second shifts, uh, harvest skies. Um, again, I think one of the things this year in particular was more about, uh, the like sense of place of when I enjoyed these beers, I got, uh, this beer like dead in the middle of winter. Um, it was amazing. Uh, I'm not really a huge, uh, Brett beer enthusiast, but I was really impressed um, with the mixed cultures, um, the drinkability. Uh, Second Shift is also putting out incredible beers. I uh, really love their Schwartz beer, too, that I had around that same time. But this one stood out to me in particular. They're wonderful folks, too. What's the next beer on your list? The next beer on my list is uh, Redemption Rocks Three Decker. So Redemption Rock, this beer, uh, Three Decker is a Hellas. Um, and I think aside from the Austin Street uh, Pills, this was another beer that I just wanted to feature because, again, I drank this beer and I was so surprised that I like had to keep going back and purchasing it <laughs> to make sure that it wasn't just, again, one of these one-off instances where I was like, oh, this beer is really good. So that I like, you know, would go to a beer store and grab it in a can and be like, okay, this beer is really good. I went and visited them at their location in, in Worcester and had it on draft. And I was like, still very, very, very impressed. Um, the brewer, Greg Carlson, uh, was a former brewer at Jack's Abbey. So he knows how to do lagers well. And again, they're, they're a great, um, 
Redemption Rock's a great company. They're B Corps certified. I think they're the only brewery in Massachusetts to be B Corps certified. So, and it's slightly turbid, huh? A turbid Hellas. It's slightly turbid. Um, again, in in the marketing world, I don't know why I compare this beer to like what you would envision those. Uh, cinematic commercials of what like a macro lager would be like just like the sweaty can and like thirst quenching and it, it very much so is fantastic what's next on your list uh next on my list is highland park um the double dry hop version of sugar on my tongue um again it was interesting that uh this year you know last year on my list i had like I mentioned, more of a variety, not too many IPAs. Um, I think, you know, because I had maybe hop fatigue uh, from last year, I actually was enjoying IPAs a lot more. Um, this one from Highland Park, who also make great lagers, um, was just so, like, candy-flavored. <laughs> um, I Hence the name, I guess, Sugar on My Tongue, but... Um, and award-winning, so, you know, they're doing something right. They feature prominently in our reader survey this year, too, so uh, the, the folks are voting for them on top of it. Jester King's next on your list. Yeah, Jester King, um, you know, they've been featured um, in the magazine and probably sure, sure. throughout the, the years. Um, you know, I was very lucky and fortunate to actually visit for the first time. Um, it was on, you know, my beer bucket list. Uh, I almost like shed a tear uh, on just based on how beautiful their space is. Um, this one was a collaboration with Pint House. Uh, Pint House is known for their uh, hoppy beers. Um, Jester King, you know, is known for their mixed firm, uh, mixed culture stuff. This was a Grisette collab IPA. Um, really interesting uh, profile and, you know, incredible to drink in the summer heat or Texas heat. Sorry. Fantastic. And of course, you know, subscribers to Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine's all access videos know that we have done classes. We did classes uh, this past year with both Jeff from Jester King and Joe from Pint House. And so, yeah, this is a beer that brings both of those two together perfectly on brand for a summer. And you didn't, uh, you didn't even plan it that way. No. Um, <laughs> another Massachusetts brewery next on your list. Yeah. Um, Widowmaker um, is a Massachusetts brewery. They collabed with Brockton Beer, which is a, a Black-owned brewery. Um, Brockton Beer is hopefully getting their brick and mortar running this year. They put out um, an IPA that they brewed on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, they released it during Black History Month. Um, it was really, again, one of those textbook style New England IPAs. Um, checked off all the boxes. Last year, I featured uh, Nordic Saison from Hill Farmstead. Uh, and that was, you know, very true to style. I think I mentioned that it was textbook and potentially flawless. And this beer also, uh, for a new New England IPA was, uh, was perfect in my opinion. Um, definitely a great, uh, showcase of, um, that style and, you know, true to at least geographically where, 
where it originated from. Well, it, the competition is so tough that uh, you have to bring your A game for anyone to pay attention to you in in that kind of environment there. So great to see that they are living up to those expectations. What's uh, the next beer on your list? So we got another New England IPA. Again, I, I surprised myself with drinking this is all. Why, this is why we came to you, Summer, because we wanted, yeah. we wanted the goods on New England. Well, this one is uh, Remnant's Diamond Lake. Um, Remnant is a brewery based out of Somerville, Massachusetts. Um, they're very small. Um, and I actually learned recently that this, uh, beer was brewed as a wedding favor for the head brewer of Trace Brewing in Pittsburgh. Um, so this is, uh, their wedding beer. Um, again, soft, pillowy, juicy IPA. Uh, I'm sure they were proud to pour this at their wedding. Uh, you know, you get your New Zealand hop character. You get that everything bagel character. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really like this beer a lot. Your Pantone swatch metaphor was absolutely perfect for me uh, with my my design background. I love it. The last of your top 10 beers of uh, of 2021. Yeah, the last of my top 10 was New Belgium's uh, Dominga, which is their Mimosa Sour. Um, I was really impressed um, with this beer. It's interesting. I know that this is a beer to be enjoyed in in the mornings and things, and I think I never actually drank this beer past uh, noon. (laughs) Um, It's incredibly drinkable. Uh, definitely, you know, I would love to try their variation. They have a Paloma variation that came out. They do. They do have a Paloma variation. Um, the thing that I love about this beer is that it really drinks easily, but the ABV is actually still, I think around 6%, which is pretty impressive, uh, for, you know, uh, a morning tart beer. The new Belgium team, is incredible when they put out these variations of sours to reach the market. Um, I love the branding of this beer and I I thought it just had to be included for this year. It is brunch AF for sure. (laughs) Today's drinkers should pay attention to. Um, so I said that today's drinkers should pay attention to people. Um, you know, there's a lot going on within the beer industry, a lot of voices that are that need to be heard. Um, I, I am fortunate to be, uh, you know, someone that has the mic occasionally, um, but I'm also one of those people that has no problem passing the mic. Um, it's incredible to see what's been going on uh, within the past two years uh, in the beer industry in terms of just people uh, being represented in a way that matters fantastic what should today's brewers pay attention to when i wrote this i was saying that uh the brewer should pay attention to uh what they you know find um what they find passion in in the beer world um again this was a particularly tough year for myself i can't speak on behalf of other people um but I think, you know, the beer 
there could be not only, like I said, hop fatigue, but um, fatigue just in general um, of operating a business. Uh, brewers that have gotten in this industry should really see or pay attention to what got them in this industry in the beginning and how, you know, they want to move forward with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of critics are in this, uh, this issue, this year's issue, focusing on these kind of people and motivation pieces. I think that it's, we are all reflecting as the general populace is on why we're doing what we're doing and trying to make more conscious choices about, um, being intentional with the way we use our time and resources, who it impacts and how it impacts them. Um, I think all of those things are growing more and more important to all of us and everything that we do. What is a beer related thing that you cannot wait to experience again? Oh, this was a fun one. Um, a beer related thing. I couldn't wait to experience. I really want, uh, I don't know. I really want to go to a German beer hall. I want to like bike around Germany. I don't even care which city it's in. Uh, this question was like all over the place because it really brought back um, experiences I had when I was in my early 20s in Europe, uh, staying up late, getting kebabs late night, um, you know, drinking beers, biking around. I just want to do that again sometime, whether it's you know, in Dusseldorf or Köln, I've, yeah, I love Kolsch's and I want to drink it from the source. Amen. One beer that deserves more attention than it gets. Zero Gravity, based up in Burlington, Vermont, uh, released in Oktoberfest, or I guess it's a seasonal, uh, that they release yearly. Uh, I paid attention to it a lot more this season. Uh, I don't know if it's because it popped off the shelves for me more, um, but they their lager program is actually really incredible. Um, and this Oktoberfest, you know, I compared it to uh, some of the best Oktoberfests out there. We appreciate you sharing your critics list with all of our listeners and readers out there. Joining us next on this special critics edition of the podcast, Alex Kidd, a.k.a. Don't Drink Beer and Malt Couture podcast uh, founder, co-founder. I don't know how you decide to how you uh, describe yourself. All of it. All of that. I'll take all the titles, every one of them on my door. <laughs> Popular podcast host and uh, prolific <sighs> blogger. On LinkedIn, uh, culture, cultural disruptor and tech innovator. Every buzzword that you can come up with. Alex <laughs> actually has written critics best of lists for every issue of the best in beer uh, issue of craft beer and brewing since we started doing this. Uh, he and Stan and I are, are the longest standing critics list. And so you can actually track back Alex's beer, uh, favorite beers of the year for the last uh, five or six years since we've been doing this. Alex, let's talk about your favorite your top 10 beers of 2021. All right, let's do it. Uh, 2021, kind of an interesting year, obviously, uh, given the fact that distributions changed, a lot of the models were changed, not a lot of people drinking in-house draft only type of things. And a lot of uh, beer festivals were abrogated. So uh, I don't know if my list is super reflective of that because um, I'm kind of a, a person who's beholden to FedEx boxes and different types of hype uh, on the secondary market. I have to follow up on those. But 
I do think that it was a fantastic year for beer with uh, new styles re-emerging and um, fantastic versions of uh, the pre-existing models for success. So uh, let's just jump right into it. Um, in Iowa, I had to give love not to Toppling Goliath, but Pulpit Rock. Um, they have been doing fantastic work for the past four years, five years. And this one particular beer, Forelsket, um I'm I'm always like how do you how do you like define what makes like a, a style or genre defining pastry stout because so much of it is is intentionally excessive but it also has to have enough balance to be like oh that's that's good relative to the style you know sure sure um yeah but this one was just straight uh snickerdoodle macaroon like it, it's it was big enough to show that they had the capacity to make a huge beer um not unlike their little party hat adorned beer from last year um five four i forget whatever I the anniversary was five, one yeah. was but this was a better version of that it was like uh if there is such a thing as balance uh balance in excess it's like the cask was tempering uh the sh- the vanilla and brown sugar and shortbread aspects it was just really well done um now on the polar opposite of that in the stout world uh if you were a part of the $600 <laughs> brewmasters reserve society you got a bottle of Firestone and Walker Dreamwood which is like checks every hype box without going pastry it's double barrel pappy van winkle society exclusive uh ultra casked and it was just fantastic it was a, a Every, to Firestone delivering on like its classical ability to make tight uh, classic styles, but in a massive crushing, like 16% cask driven, intensely complex way. Like th- this is them at the top of their game and it redeemed all of the cocktail beers and the things that weren't hitting for me. Like this was just like showing, look, we, we can do this. We're just, we're experimenting. Give us leave to have fun. And we'll give you these things that that demonstrate we're still this skilled. What's next on your list? Uh, it's kind of a blast from the past in its current form. For those of you who have been around long enough to remember the OG Alpine pre-Green Flash buyout, this is uh, Mickelhenny Muntz. Uh, this is basically, if you know Simpsons, there's Nelson Muntz. Previously, there was Nelson, and now this is months, which is they're brewing back in the original space. The OG Mickelhennies are back at it, and this is a progenitor of times past and shows how enduring and good West Coast IPAs with just a touch of haze can be. Uh, it's it's just so well done. It's growler only right now, but just it literally blasted me right back to the early 2010s when we would like lose our minds going up there and stand in front of a Christian bookstore for West coast IPAs. It's, it, it really is a great return to form. For I them. have stood in that line in the old Alpine location, you know, on that Southern <laughs> California trip yeah. years and years and years ago. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. You're right. Fantastic to see them getting back to the roots. Uh, the chili's gone and the Christian bookstore is gone, but the beer lives on. So uh, that's good to hear. Uh, again, we're kind of doing these unintentionally as bookends to one another. But on the other end of this style is uh, Fittins in upstate New York. These guys have been the newest haze powerhouse. Uh, they're, you know, like for, for all the progress that you've seen, the tree houses, the monkishes, the trilliums, these guys came out of nowhere swinging with both... Uh, 
insane demand and uh, relatively little supply. The secondary market was responding. We were seeing like the classic $100 four packs like of AZ IPA, which is a, such a crazy idea in our modern market because everyone's making a pretty good version locally, but uh, this is that good. It's that good to get mentioned in the same breath as as the people who are really fighting to eke out improvements on a, a style that's already getting at the top end of how good you can pretty much refine it. And for these guys to come out of no, well, relative nowhere to me uh, and, and do this is really remarkable. And it's still a very, very small operation, right? I mean, they're working yeah. out of like almost a storage unit type of brewery, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it gets, gets all those uh, Buffalo Rochester people up in arms, the Bills fans, keeping them dropping each other through tables. So that's always good. I love it when small breweries like this come out of nowhere. And, and Burke Gilman did it last year with Alpha King and GABF. Yeah. And small breweries upsetting the notion that you have to be able to select your hops in order to make killer IPAs. Um, mm. In the hands of talented brewers, Anything is possible with uh, decent ingredients. Absolutely. What's next on your list? Uh, we're going to go take it, uh, clear it up, and then go down to North Carolina to Zillicoa. And their Hellas was so, so well done. Um, in a year where we had so much of like pastry seltzers and smoothies and things like that, for a Hellas to just like like wipe the blackboard clean and just say, look, we got, we got the bread, we got the Ritz cracker, you know, like that, that honey and like slight fescue swallow. Uh, it, it was so refreshing. And I went and looked them up cause I was like imagining what like this place could be like in North Carolina. And I was like, I was refreshingly like uh, surprised to see that they're literally right by a river. They are, they are, they are as idyllic and like it looks, it's a place that I genuinely want to go so badly. It's a cool spot. I've been there and uh, yeah, really a big warehouse. When they started, they didn't have a brew house. You know, they were brewing all their wort over at Eurisco mm -hmm. and, and bringing it in, focusing on mixed culture stuff. Cool to see them spreading out. Great taco food truck back there also. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful place. <laughs> and just down the road from Zebulon, Mike Karnowski, which is another must go hit for uh, the beer geeks out there. Hell yeah, I agree. There's another logger, another logger on your list next. Yes, uh, this is a collaboration between Blue Jacket up in DC and Goodward Brewing uh, down in Georgia. And when you when you merge these two unlikely people, you get an unlikely style that puts up just absolute fantastic flavor profile. Uh, this is a beer called Only Memories Remain, and this is a dark Czech lager. Um, these usually get beaten up on Untapped. To see one above like a three point eight is very rare, and this just reconciles all. All the things I used to love from beers like uh, Death and Taxes from Moonlight. It, you know, it takes like the Schwartz beer underpinnings, but gives you like a nice like toasted uh, squaw bread aspect. But the clean swallow uh, and depth and complexity that, that you want from the lager. So uh, it is just so well done. And I can't think of now, granted, OK, let's say like in terms of dark lagers, I'm probably drinking maybe like. 15, 15 to 17 different like new ones a year. So it's not like it's super represented in like what I'm in the field, but this is, this is a global appreciation. This isn't saying relative to this one style. It's saying this is as good as the other beers on this list. These hype styles, these bottles that are going for $400, like the, the pulpit rock one, it's, it stands head and shoulders that refreshing and good. So 
you go another direction with the next one. Yeah. And so uh, if we're talking about uh, decadence and, uh, you know, invite only clubs, you got to go to Brad Clark. Private Press is on this list. Electric Roads. We previously saw him uh, on on one of my previous lists. Maple in the Wood was on uh, a different issue. And that was a collab before Private Press had opened. Uh, But that was a side project beer with Corey King. This is him standing on his own. He's, you know, off in Central California doing his thing in this like blending facility. And I've never seen so much transparency. The marketing materials that you get from them tell you exactly each barrel, the origin of each, how it was shipped, exact every single like uh, blending component that went into it. And it, it just came out. It was a barley wine that in a year of so many barley wines that I've had, um, it did this amazing threading of the needle of not going ultra saccharin like where some places default they think english barley wine means leaving all of that brown sugar in and just leaving that in but also not drying it out to the point where you really like the cask is overbearing or you're getting stripped down into those like really fusel grape date plum like it, it just hit the exact strike zone of everything you want in a barrel aged barley wine just so well done Mixed culture is up next on your list. And this one, I just checked my Instagram. Kate, uh, who probably precedes me since I'm like the final boss on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listeners have already heard Kate's, uh, you know, yeah, Kate's list on there. And so I think they, yeah. uh, they've they heard of her take on this next beer. Yeah. So I, I, I have to yes and her. Um, I know Kate's a big improv fan, but uh, <laughs> Floodlands, invariably, it en- I'm sorry, inevitably it ends. Um Mixed firm done in a way that is so aspirational and top pinnacle of if you pejoratively would call it an American wild ale. I think that this this is squarely in that mixed firm Saison farmhouse realm that is top tier, like as good as it gets in this realm, like without adding um, anything else to it, not not massaging any produce or fibrous material. Uh, it does what I feel so many other like American blenders and uh, wild ale purveyors should do is just manages the acidity so well and like gets these really elusive flavors like pear and melon and, you know, soft, low pH, low acidity flavors that allow it to stand on its own as a beer without being a fruit bomb or without being an acid bomb. It's just so good. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Next on your list, you take it down to Texas. Yeah. So I've, it's so hard to pick uh, something from uh, this brewery that just is the lager masters in Austin live Oak. I went with pre-war pills um, and they constantly have something new or interesting um, that perhaps might not even end on this list. Like this week they released a Maybach that's so good. And how do you get people interested in a, a canned Maybach? Like it, they, they are doing things that it's, it's like a synergy of front of house and back. Like they're both on board and they get things done and they sell out these bizarre things. But, um, this was, you know, pills are, pills are making a huge comeback, but in a lot of the forms that we see it in, it's like kind of an an India pale lager. A lot of the ones we're seeing are like very Italian, very dry hopped. Like people aren't ready to give up that IPA blanket, like, (laughs) like for security, but this is just straight up gristy crackery, like, uh, 
I don't know, like like oyster water crackers with like a nice like saltiness, uh, just just intensely crushable with perfect carb sustain and lacing. What do you want? You know, Live Oak shows up on four of the six <laughs> critics lists this year in varying varying ways. Um, and here's the other fun piece of it. Another thing you didn't know when you sent us this list is that we actually in this past February filmed a class on brewing pre war pills with Dusan and Chip of Live Oak, (laughs) and we're down there. It was a fantastic time. Nonetheless, Mm -hmm. couldn't couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. Uh, Fantastic brewery, making weird things. And I mean, of course, the smoked beer, sticking to it, making it whether people want to buy it or not. Yes. Absolutely fantastic. Yep, yep. Um, Last beer of your uh, top 10 beers of 2021. Oh, man. Talk about another brewery where it's so difficult to pick one thing from them because Phantom makes so many strange offerings that are non-standard. Um, and it's also difficult to just blanket recommend Phantom because uh, Danny Prinon is always just doing wheelies, trying new stuff. Some of the bottles are going to be too bizarre for people and some of them are going to be just perfectly right in the strike zone and they'll just be gone and you'll never be able to find them. This one was like lightning in a bottle. Um, so uh, Danny teamed up with this, uh, this Swedish beer podcast, Olpolen, who they've been, they've been going at it for like five years uh, and they, they know their stuff. And uh, so they teamed up and made this really like fascinating um, Swedish spiced saison. Um, so you, like they brewed it like in Swa with Danny, and it, it's like it's just it tastes. First of all, it's a brand new beer that tastes like it's five years old, and it's like this merger of like uh, playful oxidation, like a like construction paper dill um like a kind of kalmata olive brine and caraway seed like it's it's so it sounds insane like i'm describing like you blended up a reuben but like that's not what it tastes like (laughs) doesn't taste like exactly like that um it's just it is something that is so unique that it is quintessentially phantom nobody else can make a beer like this and if you poured it for someone it's not like some of those instances where perhaps Dogfish Head just does something for the sake of doing it and like you have to reconcile the flavor with the project itself. It is a good beer first and foremost. And then you tell people the story behind it. You're like, this is bizarre. Um, and I, I, I really respect that. Like, I think that you can have classical execution like Live Oak. You can have, you know, insane stuff like Phantom. As long as the beer is good, everything in between is acceptable. For sure, for sure. What should today's drinkers pay attention to? Ah, man, I was so torn by this because it's like there is, there's like there's so many things in the aether that I wanted to underscore. Um, everything from like uh, supply chain issues to you know employ employer equity and things like that. Um, but I think one of the things that we are seeing increasingly, um, particularly with the way people engage with Instagram and TikTok or any of like the platforms and how direct and targeted the marketing it is, um, I, I would just encourage people to really take a look at like who who is providing them with like their beer content, their endorsements, what, who's bankrolling them? What do they really care about? And just go follow, get, get back to your roots and go back to like your palate and what you enjoy. Find somebody who provides something that you're like, okay, that makes sense. That aligns with like my core of values and what I like. And just make sure you know, who's telling you what to drink and figure out what, whether or not you want to support that person. 
or the absence, just listen to Alex or me or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, what should today's brewers pay attention to? All right. So, so many, I, I haven't read anybody else's answers on this and I don't know any of it. Um, but one thing that I, that I've seen across the board that can solve so many issues, first of all, just from an HR perspective, inclusion perspective, um, you know, a lot of the things that we've seen, even, even as far as rat magnet equality and, um, incre- increasing minority and female participation in beer is Having direct communication between um, the back of house and the front of house, uh, sometimes there's this iron curtain where production and keg washers never interact with marketing and, you know, nobody who serves the beer is educated in the way that people who make the beer and it creates for this disastrous odd cast system, which shouldn't exist. There's people up front who took the job pouring beer because they want to make stuff. There's people in production who want to learn the business, you know, like there's all these things. And for, for whatever reason, in a lot of breweries, there is this, uh, this wall, like that needs that should be permeated. I think there should be, uh, you know, way more women on production side, like getting that, getting that experience and moving ahead in their careers if they want to advance in that way. And also how amazing is it to go to a brewery and having a server who knows, who like knows what a dark lager is, who isn't there just hammering a check, you know, who is, who isn't serving at seven different places, like getting good hours because they are knowledgeable and like getting like the rest in peace, like the Nate, Nate from modern times where you get someone who knows so much and is so passionate simply because they're afforded to go back there or to be educated. It's just, it's better for everyone. And I think, I think we're going to see more and more of it. You and Stan Hieronymus had a very similar answer to this one. That's great. Hell yeah. A beer related thing, a beer related thing that you can't wait to experience again. Oh, I can't believe that I took these for granted and lampooned them. But like, I want to go to like a 20 person bottle share in like a muddy backyard. Just, you know, those ones where you're just carrying around a filthy taster glass and there's, there's stuff strewn all over a park bench and you're just looking and grabbing bot like something that would be a nightmare in the post COVID world. Like I, I want whatever the version is when that becomes safe and acceptable to do again. Um, just that shared hive mind of, Oh, did you try this? Or what did you think of that? And I don't know, just even if it's just like little Caesars hot and ready's just strewn about, like there's something like the, the, the sheer like excess and Bacchanalian trashiness of it is like amazing. And I miss it. Like, it's not fun to drink at home, even if it's the best beers in the world. It's depressing to have the best beers in the world by yourself. It's not fun. I think all of us want to re-embrace those shit shows that we uh, all felt we were too good for and therefore took for granted. That's another common theme across this. What's one beer that deserves more attention than it gets? I So previously I would, you know, go with something where you're like, oh man, what's something that gets a bunch of distro where people will kind of identify with it and, oh, it's got to have the right ownership status. Otherwise you're promoting the wrong thing. And I like got in my head about it and I was like, no, here's one that checks every box for me. Great Lakes, Edmund Fitzgerald. Do I want people drinking more porters? Yes. Do I want people appreciating multi low ABV stuff? Sure. Like, 
is that a good company that has like a great heart, a long history? Uh, it's one of their core brands that like, that is consistently one of the best in style. Like to get something that is best in style, that is accessible is, is one of those fantastic rarities that outside of a lot of like German examples, you don't, you don't usually get. And I think that a lot of people will get farther down the rabbit hole in beer these days without trying what I would, you know, say like the core, the core beers, like the style, like, you know, like, uh, having a celebrator or having, you know, having this as like a benchmark. And I think people need more people need to try it. If you haven't tried it and if it's out of your distro, it'll cost you nothing. Just go get an Edmund Fitzgerald. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Well, we are out of time and have to move on. There is more to Alex's list. You will have to read the magazine. Go subscribe to beerandbrewing.com to check it out. Alex, thanks again for uh, contributing yet another year in best list to craft beer and brewing. Always enlightening to hear uh, the way that you taste and, uh, and think about beer. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you so much for having me. For our last critics list of this special podcast edition, we swing back to Bangkok and Joe Stang, our managing editor, is going to share his tops for 2021. Joe, let's kick it off with your top 10 beers of the year. Uh, I love these critics lists because we get to be a little bit more local, a little more of a homer, I guess. But you know how we have our favorite beers that we tasted all year, and then you have your kind of actual favorite beers, like the ones you get to have around and they're they're in your fridge all the time, uh, and you get to go back to them and get to know them better. My favorite beer of 2021 is from Rockwell out of St. Louis, and it's uh, Casimir's there, Fooder Condition Baltic Porter. Um, You're such a homer. Uh, such a homer. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not done with that yet either, but yeah, you could ask – you know, five different St. Louis era beer enthusiasts, their favorite Rockwell beer, and you get five different answers because they're just good at doing a lot of stuff. Um, and I have a soft spot for Baltic Porter, and this one is rich enough for me. It's got to be big. I know there's a lot of 7%-ish Baltic Porters out there. To me, that's like, yeah, you're almost there. Like, make it hefty. This is 9.2% ABV. A um, couple things I love about this beer also – um, not for the beer itself, which I love, but I mean, just the, just around it, the, uh, it's already your favorite beer. And then it goes and wins a, a gold medal at GABF. I feel pretty smug about that. Was that was the cover you needed. <laughs> yeah. That was the cover you needed to put this on your yeah. list, right? Like, I was like, yeah, I, I can, cl- I could claim my editorial like, independence, yeah. not my local no, homerism. I know. It's like, I know it's I won great. a medal. Yeah, I know. Like GABF gives a gold. Like, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, and then, but the other thing is that because, um, John Moxie knew already that I loved this beer from the previous iteration. And then because of the pandemic this time, it actually spent twice as long in the fooders. Uh, and so mind you, these are, you know, clean fermenting fooders. This aren't, this is not mixed fermentation stuff, um, that you're getting some very subtle, wood-driven notes of like vanilla there. And so I was a little bit annoyed or upset, like worried that it wasn't going to be as good as the first time around. And it was even better. Like just that it added just that little bit of polish and flourish to this really hefty, excellent, rich, smooth, deeply malty beer. And it was just one that was my naughty beer. At least once a week, I had to have, you know, one of those and crack it open. So uh, Rockwell Casimir, it's in my top 10. Next up is a place we both were at and ha- had, you know, 
one of those memorable, actually, I mean, really a highlight of my year um, is when we got to visit other lands in Bellingham, Washington. And this, we had no intention of going there. I'm not even sure we really knew about it until just about every brewer we met told us we had to go to other lands and check it out. Uh, and so we went there in the evening and what we found was this dedicated, uh, old world inspired little brewery, uh, run by, uh, it's family run, run by the couple, Ben and Carolina. And, um, the beers are, the lagers particularly are Franconian inspired. The place is Franconian inspired. So you have this sort of feel of a family run place too. Um, the food there is really good. I mean, it's, I'm not, I, I have nothing for or against vegetarian food, but it was vegetarian and it was delicious. And we, I would just go there just to eat. But meanwhile, we, we loved it. We looked at the menu and like, oh, it doesn't say that it's a vegetarian menu. Right. But, but it was no yeah. meat on the menu. Yeah. Um, you're, and, and Ben, you know, was hosting and seated us, you know, he had done his brewing shift in the morning and now he had put on his host hat and was doing, uh, you know, his, his PM shift gig. Yep. And the, it's one of those sort of, you know, rev, he's one of the sort of reverent lager brewers who wants to do things a certain way. And he did, uh, uh, brew, at uh, at Munsenbacher, for example, with Stefan Zehner. So he's and he's been around. And he's learned some things. And he, he's you know this is he's not new on the block. Um, but he, they're doing decoctions there. They're doing spunding. They're doing the horizontal lagering, and you get this you know beautiful foam just having from every piece of the process dialed in. And and the beer was just delicious. This this the beer is bright in the corners. It's a it's a hellas. You go on a different day, you're gonna you may get a different uh, take, a different beer altogether. Um, but the approach is going to be the same and just this lovely like sometimes when you get Holotar middle fruit and just like lights up this leafy lemony character to it and and it had that and it was just yeah i mean we closed the place down and uh if we were unable to stay longer and i'm not sure how i mean they had to make us leave so we left <laughs> what's next on your list joe um so this maybe is Homerish for me in a different way because I'm originally from the Ozarks, but this is a different part of the Ozarks. Uh, this is from Rogers, Arkansas in, uh, in Northwest Arkansas. Um, Ozark, Ozark beer, um, really excellent little brewery that more people would know if they weren't in Northwest Arkansas and just taking good care of their local market there. Um, Listeners to the podcast know them because we did. I, I did get out there to Northwestern Arkansas and Rogers in particular, and uh, and interviewed Lacey and Andy for for the podcast. It's not the beer I would have expected uh, to have on my list from them. I already was a big fan of their pale ale, which is sort of like this classically formed piney, like four and a half percent, just session jammer, great beer. They're beer that they just call lager is actually pretty closely hewing to the Bavarian Hellas line. And it's really delicious. You can drink a bunch of that one too. I mean, you can get either of those beers for less than 10 bucks a six pack, you know, in, in Northwest Arkansas and they're everywhere. It's awesome. As long as you don't try to buy it on a Sunday. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, give them a break. They were still a uh, dry County, you know, less than 10 years ago. So, um, as they were starting to form the brewery. Yeah. Yes. 
So um, they're more probably best known beer among the the geekery is the uh, the BDCS their bourbon their bourbon barrel cream stout which is awesome love that beer, but this was the one that just sort of getting it as I'm you know breaking it down and taking the notes and analyzing it and everything and then in, in the end come up with some sort of like feeling of a score. This was one of my top beers of the year and it's the Ozark Early Train. It is a brett beer it is aged in oak um it is wood kissed it's got this uh complexity coming from the bread and the oak but it's none of it is overdone it's so elegant and light um i get this sort of white wine spilled on the cellar floor thing which which hits me with some of my favorite uh brett beers and i probably write it too often in the magazine but it's just i just love to say it um, bits of pear and pineapple and white flowers, lilacs, and, and it's, uh, the barnyard part is low. It's not, it's not a challenging farmy one. This is really elegant beer and then just really enjoyed it. So, uh, thank you guys for making that beer in Rogers, Rogers, Arkansas. What's next on your list? Uh, it's from a brewery y'all might've heard of. It's Russian river. Um, and it's a, never heard of them. Well, tell me more about okay. them. Well, they're in. A town called Santa Rosa in a state called and California. Windsor. Uh, and Windsor, yeah. Um, and this is Pliny the Younger. I had never had it before this year. And um, and just tried to treat it like any other beer that I'm getting to know. And, and man, I just loved it. I mean, it's one of those beers where, yeah, oh, I get why this is a big deal. And, I mean, this is the kind of beer that I love to call a hop wine. It's up there above 10%. And it's the original hop wine in some ways, isn't it? Um, it is. You've got just that classic Northwest pine woods thing in there in the hops. The malt is big and yet structured. And it's it's the frame that's holding all that beautiful hop flavor. And they, and it, they come together so beautifully. You, it was It was juicy before IPAs got juicy. Um, you know, and it, and it has a, a bitterness that is there, but doesn't stick and coat the tongue and prevent you from drinking more of this, which gets quite dangerous when you're talking about above 10%, you know, alcohol. Um, there ought to be more beers like this. It's not an easy beer to make. I get that. Your beers don't have to be as excellent as a Russian River IPA, but I just love these really big, but West Coast-ish IPA is delicious, delicious beer. Glad I got to experience that this year. This next beer is out of uh, Seattle. And it's a beer that a lot of you named uh, in our polls as your favorite uh, Saison brewery. Others just had it as your favorite brewery. Um, And it's from Fair Isle. And this was, the beer is Knitting Circle Batch C. And there's a bunch of different um, you know, mixed cultures. Season one, season one, batch C. Right? Okay, yeah. I mean, I can't follow all the codes. You know, I just like I, I, and I don't even know if this is a beer that anybody can get anymore. You should do your research, Joe. Well, just do your research. I, I, <laughs> I've done it. This is why I'm a writer. I write things down because I can't remember anything. Um, the, uh, I think it's fair to say this is a good example of the kind of approach you're going to get from the beers at Fair Isle. Um. This beer I brought to an actual proper old school bottle share and it won the night. Um, it is a, it's a Saison. It is there with their mixed culture. Um, beers can be, 
and not just in appearance, but in the aroma and the flavor, they can be pretty. And this beer is so pretty. You have lemon peel, uh, elderflower, grapefruit, this hint of vanilla from the oak, like this juicy kind of bit of blood orange there, this really light, gentle acidity that uh, just added a dimension rather than taking over the flavor. And it was just really hard to stop drinking it. Um, and I shared anyway, but but that was definitely uh, a beautiful beer from this year. We uh, we popped in there in Seattle, and I loved the idea that it would there you could get draft, but it wasn't only draft focused. That the consumer experience was equally balanced towards buy a bottle and share it among people, and I think that in this modern world of beer. We are so, how do I get a sampler? How do I try a bunch of these things? How do I, you know, what's on draft right now? We're so focused in that, that we lose sight of that beauty and just sharing a bottle with each other. And I loved that. I loved that the brewery focused on that as part of the taproom experience. I hope that that becomes more of a reality in more live taproom experiences around the country in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Cool place. I mean, a cool place in a very cool neighborhood. There's just so much to explore there. Now we're going to go back to Homerism, um, back to St. Louis for this one, back to the idea that, you know, not just favorite beers you tasted over the year, but just plain old favorite beers of the year. Um, and that's for me, this, this year was, you, you've got to offer like some disclosure here, right? And, you know, I, isn't, there has to be some of that. Right? I'm going to get into that. Cause these are some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, the Criders, this is from second shift and the beer is Sam Squatch, which is a really old school, uh, like I, I believe Simcoe driven West coast IPA, or that's what we call them. Now they call them American IPA. Um, I don't, you know, this is the kind of thing that's, that second shift first made its name on. Um, and when they were, I mean, I was in a homebrew club in Franklin County, Missouri. And when, when the Criders were in new Haven getting started before that, well, before they moved to St. Louis. And so I was tasting these IPAs he was making back then. And it was like, wow, like this is, this is a level of like hop flavor and character that nobody's doing right now. Well, then everybody did. <laughs> then everybody started doing that. Uh, not, not that they started it, but they were definitely like on the early sort of cusp of that. And then IPAs kept changing and evolving, as we know, like faster than we can even keep up with, really. Um, but Second Shift still kept making this sort of, you know, I don't know what to call it, like a 10 years ago IPA. And just kept, they keep fine tuning and keep make, and keep it keep it great. Arden Neurosis is another one of my favorites that they do. Um, and this, the Sam Squatch is one that I didn't like as much at first, but I think it's like just sort of gained more and more in my esteem that caramel malt is there. This is the kind of thing I sometimes call Midwest coast. It's got a bit of, Oh my God, yeah. caramel malt, Joe, know, what are you man, talking it's got, about? It's got, it's got like a Midwestern bro hug for you or a sister hug. It can be anybody hug. I don't know, but it's a big hug of caramel malt. And with the, when it works with that hop, you almost get this kind of like. You know that sweet duck sauce from Chinese restaurants? See, this I'm, I'm describing this, and to me, that's good. And other people will be like, oh, yeah, no thanks. Hey, sounds uh, great to me. I, I love that stuff, man. I love that stuff. And I just like, I like a, you know, if you get it fresh, um, it, the, the, I just love this kind of beer. And I miss this kind of beer. And Second Shift has never stopped uh, improving on their version of this kind of beer. And, and so 
that's Sam Squatch's that's in there in my top ten of the year. Cool. What's next? Well, this is this is a fun one because it's one. It's a more recent one. Um, I as you know, I've been in Thailand now for uh, a few months, three and a half months, I think. And um, up until uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, it was not possible to legally drink beer in public here uh, because of the pandemic. The, things were in lockdown. Bars were closed. Um, restaurants for a while weren't allowed to sell any alcohol. Then, like on a gradual basis, things have like gradually reopened as the COVID numbers have gone down. So this was a beer I actually I was breaking the law, I guess you could say. I mean, I was in a place where it's like they weren't supposed to sell beer, but a, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you go order from over there. It comes in a paper cup just in case, I guess, the police walk in. Uh, I'm not going to say where that was, but um, – <laughs> It was such a delicious Please don't beer. incriminate those uh, yeah. Thai street vendors like that, Joe. I'm sure somebody could probably do their homework and figure it out. I don't. I doubt the Thai police are going to be real tuned into our podcast. I hope they're listening. Um, but it's uh, the, the beer is from uh, England, Bristol, England. And it's from the brewery Left Handed Giant. And the beer is called Feels Like Heaven. And it is a delicious stout of 6.4% ABV. Um, it's a pastry ish stout. And I didn't know that at the time and I didn't care. I didn't, didn't matter. It was because the, those elements of it were beer flavors. They were balanced with the beer and they were serving the beer, but there's cacao in there. There's vanilla, there's some walnuts and it's got milk sugar. Don't they all these days? It seems like it was was delicious beer. We enjoyed it with brunch, um, and sort of opened my eyes and I took a bunch of notes and, and then lo and behold, here it is. So that was a funny experience and a fantastic beer that found me in Bangkok. The next beer is one that you, uh, you worked hard on seeking out you, the legend was set for you. It was. And, uh, yeah. And I, and I remember you're like, I'm going to go find this beer on draft this afternoon. Yeah. And I didn't find it on draft. Um, I found it in a can. And I was happy to find it anyways. Um, I, and the people who are locals, well, this is from from uh, the Austin area. This is from Blanco, Texas, from the Real Ale Brewery. The beer is Hans's Pills. And the reason I had to seek it out is because it's 50 IBUs. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's my kind of pilsner. Like, let's let's get up there. Let's see what, that, what that's about. So I had to go out on a quest to find the beer. And I found it. Um, loved it. It's like kind of one of the things where I, I think maybe more people ought to talk about this beer, but it's um, it pulls off the 50 IBUs with every bit of of uh, balance and and um, and panache, and you've got the the Tetnanger hops that are in there. They come out this like light, bright minty herbal character. Um, you got that firm bitterness. It's not as sharp as you would think 50 IBUs might be. Um, it's really very easy to drink. It all integrates really nicely. And uh, I, it is now one of my goals when I get back to Austin to find some place that has this beer on draft. Probably should go out to the brewery in Blanco uh, and really just get stuck into it for a while. Real Ale Hans's Pills, great beer. Thanks for making it. Yeah, no, no, it was great because you, know, you were like, I've got to go find the Hans Pills. And I was like, I'm going to go drive my car back to Colorado and escape this giant uh, snowstorm that's about to hit the state of Texas. Uh, you know, but I guess the Hans Pills is worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, you, is it possible that Hans Pills is the reason I got stranded 
in it might have been the reason you got stranded in austin for that it could have been what's next on your list um so yeah i have two more um out of kansas city um we both spent some time this year at alma mater brewery um a lot of people uh, a year ago were telling me about this brewery saying hey you got to check them out they're really good um made the time to go visit yeah they're really good and then and then they started submitting beers and getting high scores. Go figure. Um, listen to the locals, people. Uh, and this was a high-scoring beer in the magazine. Uh, it's a beer that I bought and took back to my aunt and uncle's house in the Kansas City area and enjoyed in the backyard. It's the Premium Pilsner. Uh, it's a beer that, I mean, if you were, you know, Kansas City has a bit of an inferiority complex when it comes to breweries. Um, but there's even maybe they don't have as many breweries as other cities, but they have plenty of great beer. You've got Boulevard there. You've got KC beer. And for me, this beer would be right there in my fridge next to Boulevard Pale Ale, and, and which I love. And KC beer Hellas, which I also love. And it's just, it's a great, wonderful beer. Alma Mater doing cool things, not just with IPAs, but with lagers like this. Uh, and the last one is one that like probably is going to be my list every year if I get to drink it from Brasserie de la Seine in Brussels, Terrace Bulba. It's the one where like, you know, one of the beers where you ask me on any given day, there's a good chance I'll say this is my favorite all time. Um, was lucky with your help, Jamie, to do some, a bit of creative trading and get a keg of this beer that was being neglected during the pandemic as draft beer went into hibernation. We did not neglect this keg of Terrace Bulba. We invited it into our home and plugged it in and enjoyed it on draft for a couple of weeks. And it was just so cool to have it around. This just dry, bitter, quenching. Uh, it's, it's just packed with these like zesty Tetnanger and, and it's, it's a fantastic beer that just gets better all the time. And, and I think I, I probably said this last year too, but people talk about going to Dublin and drinking Guinness because it's always tastes better there. I wouldn't know. I believe you, but that's the way it is with Brasserie de la Seine beers. You drink them fresh on tap in Brussels and it's like, oh, wow, this is different than, you know, paying $12 a glass uh, in Colorado or whatever. This is like, whoa, you know, they paid a few bucks for it. And it's like another level of, you get it, that, that kind of beer fresh. It's fantastic. That's amazing because when I have it on draft, I'm like, oh, wow. No matter where it is, no matter what price it is, it's still impressive. The next question on your critics list, today's drinkers should pay attention to. Yeah, beer bars. And it's one of those things where beer bars are going to have to do some of this on their own. They, we can't expect them. You know, we, we're not going to survive through charity. They're going to have to adapt and they're going to have to appeal to us. But I do think that as drinkers, we need to support the kinds of businesses that we want to exist and to survive. And so a lot of our beer drinking business in recent years has moved to brewery tap rooms, even though, frankly, a lot of them are very similar in atmosphere and offering often very similar ranges of beers. Um, they've just become, you know, those third spaces. And, uh, I kind I really miss what beer bars can do in terms of variety, in terms of education and particularly in terms of atmosphere. And I miss that character about them. And I think, I hope we can get to them and, 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 uh, support the ones that we, that we think should stick around. Cause they're not, you know, as we saw with the falling rock, 
just because you love a place doesn't mean it's going to survive. Support the things that you want to survive. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Today's brewers, today's brewers should pay attention to. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this is a recurring theme in craft. And to me, this is what craft means. But the brewers who brew what they want to drink, that's what, that's what often turns out the best. And so I think brewers should pay attention to that inner voice that's telling you what you want to drink. Brew it. There's room for you to brew what the marketing team is telling you to brew and what you also just, you know, sells well for the brewery. But don't forget those other things. There's room for other styles. Brew that thing that you want to brew and you're, for your shifty. The best beers are those beers across whatever style that are brewed with the passion from a brewer that cares so much about that beer that they're making that it transcends everyone's expectations of what style is and what they think they like. Those are the beers that we want yeah, to drink. Those are the beers. Until, yeah. And tell your customers that's why you brewed it. They'll, they'll respond to that and they'll try it too. If you want to brew, if you want to drink a dark mild and you're bugging you that nobody's doing dark milds, brew one and tell the tell your customers, hey, this is we brew dark mild because we want to drink it, and they will too. A beer related thing you can't wait to experience post COVID. Belgium. You itching to get back, huh? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, and not just Belgium. I mean, it's getting more travel in general, obviously, but that's. That's, I was hoping to get there, you know, last year and hoping to get there earlier this year and it still doesn't happen. So now it's, 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 a, it's a powerful itch now for sure. 2022 is the year. One beer that deserves more attention than it gets. It's so Weinstefaner, everybody knows is a fantastic brewery. Um, so many beers come out of there are technically perfect and very delicious. The, I think the beer that everybody there really knows is their vice beer. It is to me like the prototype of an excellent classic paler modern vice beer hefeweizen uh and but the one that i think deserves more attention is is their hellis the original premium um and i've been surprised at how available the beer is like in your better bottle shops in town you can probably go to your import section and find a six pack of it right there and it's going to be pretty fresh it's going to be cold bring it home make it a friend it's a great beer Favorite brewery visit of 2021, Joe? Uh, I, yeah. I know I know <laughs> what your answer is here. Yeah. Well, so now we get to the Austin Ice Storm story, finally. Um, I, you know, I've alluded to it a couple of times, but we were there in Austin to film uh, video courses and record some podcasts. Uh, I stayed, I lingered maybe a day longer than I should have and got caught uh, in the ice storm. Uh, and was stuck in Austin, not in a good way. Like normally I would love to be stranded in Austin and like, oh shoot, I guess I'll have to check out some more barbecue and some other breweries. No, it didn't work out that way because you couldn't go anywhere and everything was closed. This was the, the ice apocalypse of, uh, of February. And so I was stuck in my hotel. And then I was kicked out of my a hotel, hotel with yeah. like <laughs> frozen pipes where the water was leaking through the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was the pipes and in Texas were not made to be frozen because um, that's not supposed to happen. So yeah, there was, that was, it was, it was tricky. Um, so I was told, you know, I, had, I was able to extend my room day by day for a while. And then until, until I wasn't and just waiting for the airport to reopen so I could fly out, I should have gotten a car the first day and rented a car and driven. Um, but I hesitated cause I didn't know how far the weather went and if it was really safe to even drive. 
And then by the time I decided that's what I should do, all the cars were gone. There were no rental cars to be had. I was lucky to have a room. Um, and so toward the end of the week, uh, I didn't have a room either. Um, I was told I would need to leave. And so I had to find a place to stay. There's actually, uh, and we had visited Live Oak for, uh, for a podcast and to, and to record a video course, which is still upcoming on the, uh, for all access subscribers looking forward to that. Um, but, um, Live Oak is kind of a surreal place, a surreal brew to visit in winter because the beer garden is, well, particularly then was covered in snow and this is not, not the normal way that the Live Oak beer garden is supposed to be, um, but I knew that next door was a place where you could do some glamping. They had like these teepees or something with, you know, climate control. And it was the only room I could find. So I booked that. And then I gave Chip at Live Oak a heads up. Hey, I'm going to stay next to the brewery if you're around. Uh, and it turned out he knew the people next door. He said, no, you're not staying there. You just come stay at the brewery. I got a travel trailer out back. <laughs> So I ended up with some with some of the other employees of the brewery who were not able to stay in their homes because of no water and, and no power and things. Stayed the night at the Live Oak Brewery where I was able to drink old Live Oak Gold German Pilsner from the Zwickel Tap. I was a kid in a candy store suddenly. Uh, and we had wonder, some wonderful beers on tap. The Gold, though, um, not just from the Zwickel, but on the tap. Uh, I think people talk about the Grodzitski. People talk about uh, their the pills, their their Czech style beer. But I love that sort of sharper edges of the gold as a as a really fully convincing like North German kind of pilsner and uh, delicious beer. Um, Live Oak also, you know this this discussion. No smoke, no yeah, care, Joe. These critics, no these no critics, care. critics picks has, have been full of sort of disclosures and 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 things. And and uh, Chip really took care of me there. I really appreciate it. But um, there's a reason why people ought to go. There's multiple reasons why people ought to go to the Austin area to drink lager. And Live Oak is right there at the top of that list. And. Well, that's a wrap for our special critics edition of the Best in Beer 2021 podcast. Thank you all. Uh, thanks to all of our critics. If you would like to read their full comments, please check out the uh, December, January 2021, 2022 issue of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, where all of these are recounted. Uh, cheers to all of them for their year on year, consistently excellent contributions to the magazine. GD Chillers engineers are committed to green technology design. BSG brings the best malt hops and additives from around the world to your brew house. Breweries are turning to Old Orchard concentrates for seltzer with more body color and aroma. Fill like a pro with Pro Fill can fillers from Pro Brew. Get 10% off your next order from Mountain Rose Herbs with code CRAFTBEER10 and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion Lubricants. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button. We bring you great brewing content from some of the world's most inspiring brewers and our all-access subscriptions bundle magazines with exclusive digital content and video classes you can't find anywhere else, including including the Hops Insider uh, feature, a recurring feature from the Brewing Industry Guide written by Stan Hieronymus himself. We've got a whole year planned ahead now uh, in a, you know, lined up, Stan. I know you've got great things in store for our readers. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. Uh, although we have it lined up, some things pop up and surprises like, uh, last year, uh, telling people about smoke taint before anybody else was. 
You heard it from Stan first. Thanks for joining me on the podcast for this special Critics Edition. Stan, appreciate it as always. We're going to drink a little bit more uh, Gorziski and then, uh, yeah, we are out of here. Cheers. Cheers. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.